Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, DICE's podcast where we dig into the topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain technology professionals in a historically tight market, and much, much more. Our next guest is Ted Helmuth, founder and general manager of IQ Clarity, a talent acquisition and sourcing company based in Colorado. Ted has spent 15 years helping companies throughout the state find solutions to their tech talent needs. Prior to that, he was a talent acquisition consultant for Comcast NBC Universal. Given his current focus and background, I was really interested in talking to Ted about the current state of the tech hiring market, how he sees the road ahead, and what companies can do to ease their sourcing issues. So let's listen in. For a long time, we had the great resignation among workers in general, but also tech professionals where companies are having problems sourcing and hiring tech professionals. Tech professionals are quitting because, you know, they felt that there was tons of opportunities out there. They could get a higher salary over here. They could get better benefits over there. Um, but lately, there's been data suggesting that that's easing, that employers are having a kind of an easier time finding the people that they need, um, that tech professionals are quitting less. And, you know, you have this in this bucket over here, but then you also have tech unemployment is low. And there's also suggestions, especially among specialized professions, that demand is still high. So there's I, I was just curious about your your opinion, kind of these contradictory signals and what that actually means in terms of employer demand and recruitment and all that good stuff. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And I think the last few years have been a wild ride. Right. We went from the pandemic to this hiring surge, to now hearing about some layoffs that are going on. And, and I think what, what we're seeing is there's a lot of different macroeconomic factors that are at play here, right? You've got rising interest rates affecting the cost of capital. It's making it harder and harder for companies to secure funding. Uh, you've got the debt ceiling crisis that we've, you know, so sounds like we've narrowly averted it, but... Uh, you know, that was top of mind for some executives over the last few weeks. Um, still have some of these lingering effects from the pandemic that we, we really haven't resolved yet, right? You've got uh, remote work, or is it hybrid, or are we fully on site? We're still working through some of those things. Uh, you know, and again, those layoffs that, that you just keep seeing on your LinkedIn feed or reading about. Uh, so all of that is happening on one side. On the other side, you have tech unemployment just notched down to 2%. So in employment, that's full employment for the tech industry. We really don't want it much lower than that because you know, it gets extremely difficult to find people. So we're still in a position where there's high demand for tech professionals, but we're in that transitional period, right? We're entering into a new market. And I think, I think the market's normalizing a little bit. So... Um, we're seeing that companies are, you know, reading these headlines, they're being a little bit more selective. They might think that they have, you know, unlimited candidates to draw from, which unfortunately right now is not the case, uh, but it's, it's impacting their hiring process. So sticking on a couple more interviews, maybe adding another coding challenge to their interview process. And, and, and they're starting to get frustrated because they're seeing candidates, uh, 
accepting other offers while they go through that interview process. And so, um, so yeah, I think we're, we're just in that transitional period where everybody's kind of trying to figure out, Hey, what's really going on out there. But I would say to answer your question, it's, it's not easy to find good tech talent right now. Uh, the market's changed a little bit from last year, sort of different companies are hiring than, than were maybe a year ago, but it, it's still difficult to find good people. It's it's interesting. I mean, and you mentioned the the tech unemployment rate, which is absurdly low, um, and has has actually been low to be fair for for quite some time. The end. The I, I talk to a lot of tech professionals whose dream has been to work for the Googles or the Microsofts of the world, and a lot of them are not necessarily finding the opportunities there because obviously these big companies have been laying off tens of thousands of workers, but. They might be working for a large retail company or a manufacturing concern that needs machine learning to improve manufacturing processes. So it's it's, it's just interesting to me that it, it almost seems like the 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 talent is more companies are kind of becoming tech companies and realizing they need data scientists and software engineers. And then you know now that all this is happening amongst the big tech companies and so on, it seems like there's there's more hiring among and more migration to kind of these. I don't want to call them non-traditional industries because some of them are very traditional industries, but not traditional industries when you think tech. Um, tech. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me in that sense. The in, in terms of that industry and sector demand, in terms of I guess channels for tech hiring that aren't necessarily like the the quintessential big tech you know companies and so on. I mean, what are you seeing? I mean, is there, is there hunger in retail? Is there hunger in, in industry? Is there hunger in agriculture? I mean, I I don't know. That's a that's a good comment. Um, obviously, the market is shifting, and it's uh, all these macroeconomic factors we've discussed have had an impact on that, right? So these VC funded startups that were heavily reliant on external capital, uh, they're not hiring as much right now. We're seeing a shift more towards profitable companies, companies that are established, uh, companies that private equity backed. Uh, I think those companies still have their five-year plan that they want to execute on. And whatever happens outside of you know interest rates or debt ceiling, they're executing on that five-year plan. And maybe for them, you know, they, they have a couple more options to to draw from in terms of you know candidates that are out there, but they're still executing at a high level. So yeah, I think what we're seeing is just that that shift hmm. towards different industries, different sectors. And those who are starting to realize the benefits that AI and some of these advanced technologies can offer them, um, we, we're seeing, too, that industry shift away from most of our clients over the last year were software as a service companies. They might have been early, you know, VC backed or, or have relying on funding, right? And they were growing very aggressively, hiring as many software engineers as they could find. That has shifted now. And the, the main industries that we're seeing hiring right now, I think this is not an exclusive list, but we're seeing an uptick in demand in healthcare organizations, which, you know, traditionally healthcare has been a little behind the, the eight ball in terms of, you know, their technological advancements. So they're, they're starting to pick up on what AI can do for them uh, in terms of even just surgical devices, right? There's a lot of artificial intelligence that goes into uh, what even surgeons can do. So entertainment, which is interesting, I think, as the market shifts, um, I don't know, people are kind of getting back out there. The pandemic, you know, is, is 
theoretically, hopefully sort of behind us. I know COVID is still out there, but uh, all the regulation restrictions are starting to come down. And if people want to get out of the house and go, go do fun things. So we're seeing entertainment sector pick up uh, and that includes gaming. Uh, you know, so, so that sector is doing quite well right now. Manufacturing, which, uh, you know, a year ago, if you'd asked, hey, are any of your clients manufacturing? I would have said, you know, no, that, that's just not something that's hiring tech right now. In, in this moment, I think when everyone's trying to do more with less, manufacturing starting to see that there are areas where technology, AI can create efficiencies for them, and they're starting to invest heavily. So, uh, And then insurance and just kind of business services, right? Those are areas that... It, as the market shifts, they start to pick up and realize what they could be doing to improve their operations a little bit. Um, the skills that we see have, have changed a little bit. So um, what skills are in high demand? Uh, you know, a year ago, it was sort of everything, software engineering. Um, and, and we're seeing a little bit of a shift towards there's software engineering is still in very, very high demand. Mm-hmm. But our number of recs for data, analytics, data science and machine learning, those are all starting to pick up. And I think, um, you know, that's just, again, as companies look to be more efficient, they're going to adopt whatever technologies can facilitate that. Uh, cloud infrastructure, all you know, it's just always popular. Obviously, there's automation that can be, uh, I guess, gleaned from a cloud environment. And that just helps them run their operations more smoothly. Hmm. Uh, and then IT infrastructure is the bedrock of what supports all of these things, which always stays in, in high demand. So, so there's been a shift. And I think, yeah, the, the companies are a little different than are hiring now than were a year ago. And I think candidates are starting to adapt to that. They maybe aren't only looking at FANG companies or aren't only looking at you know the, the biggest tech companies that are out there. They're starting to understand that there's organizations that are uh, maybe not your traditional tech, but are still doing really cool things. That yeah, that makes total sense. Um, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned the, the the specialization aspect to it too, because obviously companies need a broad range of it. They might be interested in AI, they might be interested in you know data science or what have you. The the one thing that sort of pops up again and again um, in discussions that I have more so with tech professionals and recruiters. For example, let's say you're interested in working in healthcare and you want to do something like, you know, data science for a health insurance company or a big hospital group or something along those lines. Um, You're sitting down with your interviewer and they want to know about your specialized knowledge in terms of HIPAA, in terms of like kind of the regulations that are specific to healthcare. And I imagine in other industries, it's a similar thing. I mean, if you're sitting down with somebody who's, doing any sort of work with controlled, protected data and so on. You want people who are like kind of well-versed in those regulations. Um, Given the demand for tech professionals kind of within these industries, do industries kind of have this stance where, okay, we're going to hire you because you have these tech skills and then we'll teach you what you need to know about this sort of industry-specific knowledge and so on? Or is it, or do recruiters and hiring managers more want people who kind of come in with that specialized industry knowledge already? I mean, kind of what's, I mean... Because you can see it kind of going both ways, that they'd be willing to invest the time for the right talent, but also that they want people who know it. I, I, I don't know. I mean, where do you see anything along those lines? That's a good question. I, I think that 
it depends on that company's budget. Mm-hmm. If they have the dollars to spend to get someone that comes from that vertical, knows you know HIPAA, for example, inside and out, and really understands how to adopt a framework that's going to support privacy and make sure that patient data is not getting exposed, you probably want somebody that knows what they're doing, uh, or at least one person that can help architect the framework. Then you can fill in the gaps uh, with people that maybe need a little bit more training. So it really it depends on the maturity of the company the maturity of the team, and the infrastructure and budget that that company might have. Uh, but generally, you know, at least one or two people that are the leaders should have that industry domain expertise. And then if you have analysts and other candidates that you know, might have the right technical skills but need to learn the, the industry domain, you can fill in the gaps with those individuals. So it's a little bit of both. Uh, mm-hmm. It really depends on the company and the team. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. The... Um... In terms of monetization, one of the other things is throughout the pandemic, this sort of, and it, I mean, it's, it's obviously still a theme, but companies that don't necessarily have a, a Google-sized amount of money, they're not able to pay that massive six-figure salary for this specialized talent, these these data scientists and so on. Um, those companies were tending to offer other benefits. We can give you hybridized work. We can give you more equity. We can give you child and elder care. Um as part of the DICE salary survey, like we've been doing these huge data crunches of what candidates want and like what the benefits that they want are, you know, obviously quite diverse. You know, they want all sorts of things to it. Um, for the companies that you interact with that might not necessarily have kind of the money to pay for all this this tech talent, I mean, what are they offering? How are they trying to kind of sweeten these offers to bring this talent on board, even if they can't necessarily match a salary of a, a massive international conglomerate or, or an entity like that? Yeah, I think uh, in my experience, engineers, money isn't everything to them. Uh, and that's a broad stroke comment, but there's a lot of people in the tech field who, and it depends on the individual, but in, in terms of, you know, if we're looking at, at just sort of a broad stroke across you know, tech professionals, there's other things besides money that, that get them out of bed. Uh, and some of those are the company's culture. Is it a mission-driven organization? Are they doing good in the world, right? That can sometimes get someone to say, hey, you know what? This company's helping save lives. I'm willing to work for them and I'm willing to do it at a little bit of a discount than I would for one, you know, a, a fan company that's selling my data to other people yeah. or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, flexibility, right? Some of these larger companies are trying to pull people back into the office. And, you know, I know myself for the last three years, we've gotten used to working from home and having yeah, a little bit too. of a flexible schedule. Uh, and there, there are individuals out there who will take a discount to have that flexibility. So mm-hmm. that's another, you know, arrow in the quiver that companies can use. Um, I've seen that just the type of work that that person's going to be doing. So if you're at a, and I keep saying Fang, you know, if, if you're at one of the larger tech companies out there mm-hmm. uh, and you get hired on a team, you might be, if you're a software engineer working on, you know, the one button that, you know, millions of people use every day, but that button better be working as well as possible. Uh, and really at the end of the day, are you feeling fulfilled and that you've had an impact, uh, if you're working on that one small thing, whereas you join a smaller company that 
is building a new product and you're going to be involved in the conception, the design, the development, the implementation. Uh, so, so really impact, I guess, is what I'm getting at. If you're, if you can sell the impact of that role to a potential candidate, they might be willing to say, Hey, I'm really excited about it. That sounds like a fun project. I want to work on it. I'm willing to work, you know, at a little bit lower pay to even get that experience, but also to have that impact on the product, on the company, on, you know, on the mission. So those are some things people can use, um, learning, right. Are they going to learn a new skill? Can, can you learn a new programming or scripting language? Can you learn a new cloud platform? Can you get into machine learning or data science, right? Mm -hmm. Or are there, is this company going to allow for a little bit of learning? And if so, again, candidates are, are sometimes willing to take a little bit lower salary to get uh, into the right type of environment that they're looking for, the right type of company. Training, training always popped up as like one of the most requested benefits among tech pros that we saw that. I mean, no matter, I mean, you could offer all sorts of other things like the free snacks and like, et cetera. And like that, that was nothing compared to the ability of a company offering to pay for, you know, certifications or something like that. It definitely seems like a lot of tech pros are really interested in that upskilling ability. Um, you brought up a really good point um, just now about kind of culture and, and cultural fit. And I mean, it seems to be like such a tricky thing. I mean, you, during the, the dance of the interview process between recruiter and hiring manager and candidate and so on, everybody's trying to figure out kind of, you know, will I fit in here culturally? Will I mesh with this team? Do I like the mission? Like you were saying, I mean, do I want to work for a company that's selling data versus kind of you know, helping to actually improve the world. And it, it makes me think, I mean, like it, it, it's such a tricky subjective thing. What, what does it take to kind of ensure that, that cultural fit? I mean, like how, how do both sides evaluate that? This is actually what I want to be doing. This is the people that I want to be doing it with. I mean, it, it's, it's, yeah. It is a very tricky thing. And I think the root of why it's tricky is <laughs> obviously culture is not something you can point to and say, Hey, you know, that's my culture right there. Uh, it, it's not easily defined. And there was, you know, I, I think this all sort of came to light during the pandemic that, you know, culture is not a ping pong table. It's not a kegerator. It's not, you know, that, that, that has nothing. It might help promote team collaboration. It doesn't define your culture. So a lot of organizations kind of did this reflective exercise where they said, okay, well, you know, first of all, what is culture, right? First, you have to define what, what culture actually is. And then once you've defined it, uh, you want to promote it and you want to make sure that every single person, particularly leaders of the organization, can answer, hey, what's, what's your cult company culture like? They can answer that question. Once you know what the company culture is, then you can build a series of screening questions and interview uh, techniques to ensure that the most important thing is alignment, right? So. The candidate's uh, value system and the company's culture, if those are aligned, then that's a great fit long term. Hmm. If there's a misalignment there, that's when you know you, you get rocky kind of issues that pop up down the road. And so again, if you can define your culture, which you know most companies look at it as a shared uh, goals, values, attitudes, beliefs among the organization and and it's one thing to just say like hey that's our culture we share all these different values but really it takes that 
continuous promotion of the culture throughout the organization from the top down so that then you design those interview questions, those interview techniques to uncover. And, and it's not just saying like, hey, what are your values? That, <laughs> it's, yeah. not, it's not necessarily going to say, okay, oh, well, he checked this list, she checked this list, that list. Um, that's not necessarily going to get you a good fit. It's, it's uncovering the why behind those. Okay, well, why, you know, why did you say that? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about that. And, and then you start to get a feeling for that particular candidate they can share specific examples of why their value system is what it is and how well it does align with, with your organization. So I think that's the root of it is define your culture, promote your culture, and then in your interviews, screen for a culture. Mm-hmm. And if you can adopt almost that framework, mm-hmm. you're going to have much better alignment down the road, better job satisfaction, better retention, all the things that companies right now really need to be careful and, and pay good attention to. Retention, retention is such a huge issue right now. I mean, people I've been talking to in terms, and we we're, we're talking about this before in terms of the great resignation and, and people kind of quitting and so on. Um, do you think that, I mean, do you think that there's, there, there's a lot of lip service made towards companies doing a lot to do, to promote retention and so on? I mean, do you think a lot of them are actually following through? Do you think that, they're improving on that front in general, in terms of like listening and creating these feedback loops between candidates and then ensuring that people, it's a, it's a mutually beneficial thing. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think, again, it, it depends on the organization. Um, sometimes companies, until they feel the pain of, you know, a few people, it's a few key people resigning, they just kind of, ah, well, you know, let's keep going, execute, 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 you know? And so so once they feel the pain, then I think, yes, it comes front and center. Okay, we're, we're implementing these programs. We're going to have our, you know, our surveys every quarter and make sure there's engagement. Um, so I think it depends on the organization. There's a lot that have done a really good job, particularly throughout the pandemic, mm-hmm. is as people, the more remote people get, the less connected they might feel. And if you continually bring people together, gather feedback and act on that feedback, not just look at a report and say, oh, this survey wasn't that great. Uh, let's think about some stuff down the road and we'll improve. Uh, but it's those that take action on the feedback they get and then continue to adapt and continue to get better. They have really good tenure and, and retention. It's those who maybe let some of those things fall by the wayside that you know they, they struggle, particularly as the market stays hot for technology professionals People have options. They have other opportunities. It's very easy to flip on, you know, the resume on dice or open to opportunities and, and start to get calls from other recruiters. So. Yeah. Given given the, the these pressures to hire and to retain so on the companies are feeling, I've been having some conversations with recruiters where and, and, and it's, it seems to fall into two camps. There are the recruiters who are really interested in automation and AI tools and what that can do for them in terms of winnowing down to a few candidates. And then there's um, the recruiters on the other side of the equation are a little leery of, of what AI can potentially do or not do for them. They're a little concerned it's not going to be all that it's hyped up to be. Um, but it... it, it how do you see that evolving? Because I mean, on one hand, time saver, but on the other hand, potential for error and mistakes and not great candidates. I mean, it's just what's what's your take on it? I uh, I love data. I've always been a fan of what what can be done with data when done the right way. And uh, and I think 
the applications for AI are limitless, right? There, there's going to be, there's already this sort of re- renaissance going on with ChatGPT and all the other new tools that are out there that you can see without you know paying a ton of money how impactful those are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, screening resumes has been around, or, or artificially screening resumes has been around for a long time. There are applicant tracking systems that will rank and score resumes for you. Dice.com has some great tools that uh, you know allow us as employers to filter and screen resumes. And those tools keep getting better and better. And so the human element behind those tools is critical. So the tools can be a time saver. They can take a thousand resumes and give you the top 30 that really do meet the qualifications that you're looking for. Uh, yes, there may be some margin for error within those 30 that, you know, some might be a little better fit than others. And that's where the human comes in and looks at the experience and looks at the types of companies they've looked for and uses their human experience and their human intuition to say, hey, out of these 30, I like these 10 the best. Let's set some screening calls up with those. Mm-hmm. So, yes, automation saves time. It generates efficiency. But the human behind those tools is the most impactful, the most important part of the equation. And that also reduces the margin for error because one of those thousand that got filtered out maybe could have been a good candidate, uh, but they got weeded out because of some algorithm or some glitch in the algorithm. So having a human behind the scenes, just double check things a little bit is important. But I, I absolutely think that you know AI is going to continue to evolve. It will continue to adapt the way the recruiting industry operates and it will hopefully continue to add efficiency to our jobs and and at the end of the day we'll all get better at our you know at what we do every day and 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 just generate more efficiency but there always be the bias that you have to be careful about there'll always be you know human intuition behind the scenes helping to make sure the margin for error stays as low as possible yeah. I mean, it's it's obviously very early days for this, so it's going to be really interesting to see where it evolves. And I mean, it, it, it seems like people are talking about it, at least, which is always a good sign. People aren't just sort of like plunging in and, and causing nightmares left and right in terms in terms of sourcing and, and recruiting. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. We're just, seeing both, both sides. Sorry. I've seen candidates who uh, have put keywords on their resume and uh, and like put them in a font that you can't see them, but the keywords show up just so that the resume, you know, gets. So there's ways you know to maliciously use AI or or, or sort of get around. Oh, interesting. It. And, yeah, you have to be careful. You have to be careful for malice on both sides. Yeah, the candidate and the employer. So. That's that's really fascinating in terms of. I mean, in other aspects of coding and programming and so on, you see people do tricks like that. But I mean, that's the first time I've heard it being done in, in this specific context, which is really. Wow, that's fascinating. I'll have to, huh? Okay, I'll dig into that one because that's that sort of like pinged my, my story idea immediately. Um, Absolutely. Cool. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. And that's it, folks. It's been a confusing time for tech hiring at the moment, which is why it was so fascinating to talk to Ted about what he's seeing. Here are some brief takeaways from our chat. First, the tech industry experienced a hiring surge during the pandemic. Now there are a lot of new macroeconomic factors in play, which are causing some companies to cut back on tech hiring, even as others try to grab all the talent they can. But the net result is that it's still a challenging hiring environment for companies, and they'll still need to fight to secure the best tech professionals. Second, 
Numerous industries are interested in hiring lots of tech talent, including healthcare, entertainment, and manufacturing. Many organizations in these industries are increasingly curious about cutting-edge tech, such as machine learning and artificial intelligence. If you're a tech professional with specialized skills, don't be afraid to cast a wide net. You could find some interesting opportunities in a whole new industry. For recruiters and hiring managers, landing talent is more than just offering high salaries. You'll need to convince tech professionals that they'll find the right mix of benefits, perks, and purpose at your company. Third, culture is extremely important when it comes to convincing tech candidates to join your company. It's also a really difficult thing to get right. Companies need to define their culture, then figure out the best way to promote it via the channels available to them. If you can show a tech candidate that your company culture aligns with their own values, you'll have a higher chance of hiring them. We covered a lot of other topics during this episode, of course, so give it a re-listen if there was anything you missed. We'll see you next time. And remember, DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles. And for technology professionals, the best place to grow your tech career.